Welcome to the Reticle Up Podcast, where I, Three Gun Kenzie, will be interviewing competitive shooters, hunters, fishermen, archers, entrepreneurs, and outdoorsmen. Come learn with me as I interview people from all walks of life, in different disciplines, all across the world, from novices to professionals of all ages. No matter what, everyone has something they can teach you. So come join me on the journey. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Red Club Podcast. You may know my host here since we have so few podcasts in this industry, <laughs> but I've got Billy Barton on today. So he also has podcasts called Speed Up and Get Your Hits. Uh, and he's a GM in Carry Optics, which we're going to talk a little bit about today and a little bit about what he's planning on doing after Carry Optics Nationals. So Billy, how are you? <laughs> I am awesome. I hope you are as well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I like that little uh, dark side laugh because I know where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's going to be some people that are going to be like excited and there's going to be others that will make fun of you. It'll be great. Of course. Yeah. No, that's, gotta, that's part of it for sure. Yeah, we've got to leave that, that for later. Um, so for you, like, why did you start shooting USBSA in the first place? And like, did you just go straight for carry optics? Yes. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's been pretty cool to see. I haven't been in, I've only been in the sport for, uh, I guess maybe less than three years now. Um, but it's been interesting. I think, I think carry optics really has changed the, the sport a lot. Uh, and one of the reasons is being that it brought in folks like me, if carry optics had never existed, I would have never shot USBSA like straight up. Really? Um, and, and the reason for that's pretty simple, right? So, I mean, my, my match gun, I mean, is the gun that I have in my pants right now, right? I mean, it is, it's what I carry, right? And so that's, you know, what I came into USP PSA with, which is my carry gun. And, you know, honestly, if I, if I, I wouldn't spend as much time working on USPSA if it didn't apply to everything else that I do with, yes, the classes that I teach and so forth, but also just like what I carry every day. Right. Um, and so that's, that's really my motivation for, for being good with guns to begin with is, uh, is kind of the, the other side of the house, if you will. So, yeah. yep. Straight into carry optics and, uh, never really look back. Okay. Now, uh, how did you find USPSA in general though? Like, were you Googling competition? Someone recommended it? Uh, hard to say exactly how I found out about the sport. Obviously I've known about, I've, I mean, I've known about competition shooting for, for a long time, shot a little bit of IDPA way back in the day. Okay. Um, but, uh, I guess what, what got me back into it, um, essentially I ran out of folks that were better than me to shoot with. Right. Um, and to me, when you're, when you're looking to get better, that's, um, that's, that's pretty important. Um, not only to watch folks and learn from those kind of folks, right. But also just to keep in mind what's possible. You know, if, if you're, if when you're the guy that, that trains more and practices more than most of your friends, you know, it gets, it can, you can get to a point really easily where you start thinking you're about as good as you can possibly get. Right. And as soon as you oh, think that the local only shooters, <laughs> as soon as you, yeah, well that too. Right. But uh, as soon as you think that you are correct. Right. And it becomes really difficult to actually grow in a way that you, you, you might. And so that was really what got me into the sport, but I've loved it ever since I'm a very competitive person. And, um, Essentially, the, the pursuit of excellence is what is what brought me to it, right? And so that's, yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, when you got started too, though, USPSA and even IDPA, they've mm -hmm. changed their rules where now you can have that uh, concealed carry holster. So, like, for you, you know, you had to get a different setup, though, right? The kind of. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've always dabbled in both, right. Uh, the kind of concealed carry as well as out of the waistband setups. So I was definitely that, that, you know, the classic tactical Timmy guy that started <laughs> with the, you know, multi-cam blue alpha belt and you know, the, the whole deal. Right. Um, and, and, um, 
I mean, that, I mean, it's nothing wrong with it. It just looks funny to folks that aren't used to it, right? I mean, it, it really doesn't hold you back. It's the same thing, just a different color for the most part. Um, but but yeah, so it was not a, was not a stranger to alpha waistband at all. I actually started before uh, you know appendix carry was legal, mm-hmm. um, so I had to go out of the waistband. Right. Um, uh, so yeah, you know, I, th- I think for me, when you're first starting off with with pistol shooting, obviously. Uh, the ability to get your your gun out and establish the right grip every time, and the, you know, the draw part of it is 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 super important. But eventually, you get to the point where it's like, man, what bucket the gun comes out of is like not super important. It's kind of the noisy part afterwards that I care a lot more about, right? And so, um, to me, it doesn't make a big difference whether it's you know, outside the waistband, inside the waistband. The draw process itself is pretty similar. Right? I care more about the the noisy part. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, but okay, Okay. caveat to that with that, you've got the speed that you're trying to push in USPSA to be better, to be good, Mm -hmm. to win. So those people are doing scoop draws and they're trying to do everything to have that advantage. Whereas in concealed carry, retention's more important and all of that. And your your draw is probably not a scoop draw. So like what do you do to balance all of that? Uh so (laughs) (laughs) I I honestly think that the the potentially, right. you can, you can write a scenario. When you start talking about tactical scenarios, you can write, you can write it however you want to make whatever you want important. Um, I, I think potentially speed on your draw is even more important for a defensive scenario than in a, um, competition, mm-hmm. you know, in a competition, you know, what do you think if you think about, you know, your average A-class shooter versus your average GM, right? Like what is the draw time difference to first shot between those guys? Maybe a 10th or two. And sometimes it's actually going to be negative, right? Like my draw is faster than Christian Seiler's JJ Arcazes, right? Like, and it was when I was a class, right? Because they don't really care about that stuff, right? They're <laughs> again, draw for GMs over second draw, I think for most others. Yeah. I mean, that's fair comparison. My point being, right. If you're shaving a 10th or two off your draw, like the chance on that making a meaningful impact on your placement in a competition is pretty minimal mm-hmm. in a defensive scenario. You know, the bad guy always gets to go first. And so unless you have a way to overcome that um, you're, you're probably out of luck. So um, you know, for me, my draw process is actually very, very similar for outside the waistband versus um, inside the waistband with the the simple difference being you have to clear that cover garment. Mm-hmm. Um, what I learned in the pursuit of a really fast concealed carry draw actually has is, was what an, is what enabled me to figure out the way that I draw in competition um, to this day, which is kind of my scoop pluck hybrid thing that I do. Right. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> I, I figured that out. I figured that out from concealed carry. Um, so yeah, the, the, for me, the draw process is is really similar. Okay. Now, have you actually shot with your carry rig set up? I have. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I have shot several of my uh, you know local matches um, from from appendix. It's a lot of fun. Yep. Yep. Reloading from spare mag pouches, all of that stuff under the that's, or what? So that's where the big difference comes in, right? For a okay. lot of folks, um, thankfully, shooting shooting in high cap. Uh, most stages are set up to where, uh, there is a spot to reload somewhere on the stage. That's not going to massively, uh, you know, mess you up. Um, and you generally only have to reload once. So if you're shooting a high cap division, it's not the end of the world to reload from concealment, but, um, yeah, I wouldn't be, I probably wouldn't be shooting production from concealment to be totally honest. (laughs) That sounds like a nightmare. And IEPA, when they had the 10 rounds instead of 15, I mean, you were having half two, three magazines sometimes. I mean, even though they're round like is 18, I think. Well, that's the funny thing about IDPA though, right? Like no one is actually competing in IDPA with a practical carry rig. Um, Like I literally haven't seen it. So, 
you know, when I, when I compete from conference, from concealment in, in USPSA, I actually compete with what I carry every single day, which is really great. Cool. Um, I never did that in IDPA. Like none of my gear was legal in IDPA and I had to go buy different concealment gear to compete in IDPA, which is, is, is backwards from counterintuitive know, what, it's, what it's supposed to be. To be. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Defense association can't do anything that you would actually right. do in real life, but right. we're going to have that as our tagline. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Funny, now, funny how things change over time. For sure. Now, okay, there's the argument of keep your gun stock, keep your gun stock, right? Yep. But for you and I, I think you and I have a similar carry rig with kind of modified triggers, sights, all sorts of good stuff. I I compete with a hundred percent stock gun. No way. Yeah. Uh and now it's an OZ9, right? So the cool yeah. thing with that is it comes, you know, I shoot for Zev, full disclosure, it comes out of the box pretty much the way that I want it, right? Um so it's it is it is ish. I mean that's not like a stock gun that most people are gonna go buy. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Right. So yeah, no, I, I totally get where you're going with the, with the question. Yeah. Um, lots, lots of reasons folks have for keeping your, your gun stock. Right. Um, I definitely think there, there's a misnomer that, um, <laughs> people, people talk about unreliable parts as if, Oh, well, that's for competition only. Like you shouldn't put that in anything you would carry. And I'm like, it's kind of important, important for our guns to work also. Like if, uh, if our guns don't work, that's kind of a big disadvantage. Um, me how I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think obviously we should be careful with modifications that we're doing. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, as an example, people, see aftermarket triggers that reduce reliability in guns and be like, oh, well, therefore you shouldn't mess with your triggers. I'm like, no, you shouldn't mess with your striker spring. Like if you're, you know, right, like you should leave that stock. Um, yes, lightening your striker spring can massively, you know, impact the reliability of your pistol for sure. But putting, you know, as an example for Glock shooters, a factory Glock minus connector in your gun, like, no, that is not going to impact the functionality and reliability of your gun in any way at all. Right. Still guide rod. Um, like those are good, good ideas. <laughs> yeah. hundred percent. Right. So there's, there's thoughtful modifications you can make that are absolutely going to going to improve the performance of your gun with, without having any negative, um, you know, impacts on reliability in my mind. So, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. What is your fancy uh, setup here? I got to see my, the like, holster, flashlight. Ah, yeah. Uh, for, for competition or, well, I mean, guns, I just want to know like what you carry, what you shoot. Cause I, I mean, I, the, gun, the gun's the same, right? It's already mentioned that I shoot for Zev. Um, so this is the, the KC Eusebio edition, uh, OC9, um, that, that I'm running. It's, it's essentially a five inch gun. The, uh, if you're not familiar with it, the OC9, the upper of it is Glock compatible um so this is obviously all zev parts but it's you could i could take a glock 34 slide essentially and put it on here and it would work um but it also is kind of like the you know p320 concept it has a full steel chassis in it which is going to increase rate gives me a full steel rail in the front you know changes up the whole balance of it more than doubles the slide to uh rail contact surface area and gives me interchangeable grip modules nice. um so there's a there's a lot of cool stuff about it i, I like the I dig the guns quite a bit that's what i carry um what and, you have on and it? compete with uh right now i have just a normal thousand lumen x300 nice um i am anxiously awaiting the the turbos to come out or be available they seem pretty cool uh, but awesome. uh, also keeping good okay. no i was gonna say choice of holster like what are you drawing out of 
Uh, so for concealment, I'm actually just running, this is a filter floodlight with uh, discrete, discrete carry concepts uh, clips to run on all my holsters. There's a lot of good holsters out there. The cool thing about this one, as well as like the tier one concealed MSP holster and a couple others that have come out now is that the retention is all based upon the light. So I can take any one of my pistols with this light on here, throw it in here, and the retention works really, really well. Uh, and it also just has all the features that I look for in a concealment holster with the way that it's built, with the, the way the wings set up and the changeability of the, the right heights or retention and all that kind of stuff uh, works really well. I dig that holster uh, quite a bit. And then I am actually running a tier one concealed holster um, for my normal competition rig. Uh, this is the new Optio V2. This is actually a, the, the, one of the early prototypes before the real holster came out. Okay. I had a little bit of, of input into kind of some of the, the concepts behind what this holster was was built in. This holster was essentially modified from their V1 Optio holster specifically to allow you to draw the way that I do, essentially. Um, and so that's... Uh, Nothing, nothing too crazy about it. It looks a lot like a lot of um, holsters you would see in the competition space, but it's very different from what you would normally see in the tactical space. Um, yep. And so it's a, it's a, it's a great holster. I dig it, dig it a lot. That's awesome. Yeah, and I like the the filter stuff. I, I have their Enigma as well. That yep. system is really incredible for hiking for women. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, my dumb dumb self, by the way, I tried to get the original like snap loops off, and I was doing it the wrong way. Yep. <laughs> it took me like a good 10 minutes to realize how easy it was if you did it the correct way. So good job on retention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's I'm not a big loop guy, but their loops are, uh, are no, are no joke. Um, yeah, they, they do not come undone accidentally for sure. I trapped myself until I figured. It out. <laughs> <laughs> totally okay, understand. Yeah. Embarrassing. Um, so what was I gonna say? Oh yeah. The dot stuff. I mean, yeah. I'm having to move to a dot, which I'm excited about. I'll try a little bit of carry optics, but definitely going to open. Okay. I mean, how does someone even uh, master the dot, picking it up, choosing the right one? I mean, I'm still doing the head bobble thing, like chasing the optic rather than setting my eyes to it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more. <laughs> how do I fix my uh, the, the dot, right? The dot. Yeah. There's obviously we could go on for, uh, for days about the dot, but um, I guess a couple entry level kind of ideas for it, right? Especially in the, you know, the issue you're talking about is what a lot of folks struggle with first coming in the dot, which is like, <laughs> where is it? Um, how do I find it? Um, the th I think the thing to understand about that is that that is not, um, you know, something the dot is doing to you. It's just exposing a problem you've had all along and just never knew because iron sights allow you to steer the gun into the target, you know, with your, your eyes. And if you have a sloppy presentation, it's a way off target. You can see exactly where it is and just fix it. Right. Um, the dot well, doesn't I've, really let you I've do that I've so had a problem, by the way, when I have mics on targets, I'm like, Haha. I don't mean you specifically. I mean, yeah. just people <laughs> just... in general. Um, yeah. So essentially the way we, the way we, solve that you know i mean at its at its core is making sure that our presentation is kind of naturally indexed on the target and then it's consistent every single time so you know uh, figuring out in the draw stroke how am i get make sure my hands are on the gun the exact same way every single time um and then building that natural index one of the you know one of the drills that i like to do and i did i still do like when i switch guns right like if i switch from a glock to an mp and the grip angle is a little bit different uh and kind of train an actual index right so in dry fire you can just kind of pick, you know, whatever your target is, but a nice, small, precise target, right? Close your eyes, draw the gun out, and present it, and then open your eyes and see, okay, is the dot right in the middle of my glass? And is it right where I was looking? And if it's not, where is it? 
right? And don't change anything. See, okay, first of all, is there a trend? In other words, okay, I'm presenting this gun naturally. I'm presenting the gun low every single time. So I need to figure out, am I, do I need to change in my grip? Or do I just need to feel that adjustment to where I bring the gun up to where I'm actually seeing the dot? Is there a change I need to make there to where my grip, you know, my presentation is on point? If there's not a trend and it's just all over the place, okay, now we just have a consistency issue, right? Either way, we've diagnosed what the issue is, and we just need to kind of get to the point where we can just kind of bring the gun up over our eyes and dots there. Um, once you can, once you can do that, then you know the finding the dot thing is not going to be an issue anymore. It's just going to, it's going to be very natural to bring the gun up. Dots always going to be there, and uh, that is once you get once you get to that point, the dot is uh, is the cheat code for sure. You know, you'll never want to go back. <laughs> I think it's a mix. I really like irons, but then yeah, I know a lot of people. Okay, you're saying like that's fixing your your kind of sight presentation. And mm -hmm. I think that would improve you with irons. And do you think it is easier to go 100%. back to iron sights? After 100%. It, I think it helps you with a number of things, right? So obviously for a lot of folks, when they switch to the dot, they have to improve their draw stroke, their grip and their presentation. And the dot really helps them do that, right? Um, and so that can only make you better with irons. If instead of having to steer the gun in and fix your presentation, when you draw the irons are just there every time as well, and you're ready to press the trigger as soon as your, you know, sights pop up into your vision that can only obviously help you with that. Um, the other thing it does, you know, the, the folks at the, at, the, at the top of the iron sight game are, are more and more moving to all target focus at all distances, right? Yeah. Um, they're, they're, and, and the only way you can do that is if your index is really squared away to begin with. Right. Um, you know, if you can't trust that your sights are going to be aligned, well, then, yes, you have to pull your vision back and look at your sights and see, are they aligned? OK, where's the target? Where's my sights? Where's my target? Right. Uh, that that whole kind of thing. Um, and so learning that natural index and learning how to lock everything in and get super consistent with your sight alignment from the dot absolutely applies over your iron sight game and helps you shoot better with target focus, I think, um, as well. And, um, I think there's a lot you can, the, the dot is a super helpful training tool, I think for shooting in general, you know, things like, um, you know, am I, am I moving the gun when I press the trigger? Right. That's huge. Dry fire. Yeah. So yes. like I was teaching my yes, friend this past weekend, every time she pulled the trigger, felt the wall, whatever. And as soon as you break, Hey, where'd the dot go? That's what you're doing wrong. Oh, I saw the dot exactly. go down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, in theory that your iron sights are telling you the exact same, same thing. thing that your dot is, but it's harder to see. Right. And yeah. a lot of folks, you know, I find it more difficult to read what their irons are telling them nearly as well as you can with your dot. Whereas right. like you said, you can hand a dot to a brand new shooter and they can immediately see that dot go over low left and they pull the trigger. Right. Um, and so, you know, it can be a great training tool for various things like that, I think, and help you learn things about shooting that absolutely apply over to tire and as well. So, yeah. 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 Oh man. So, uh, my least favorite target, I think on the whole entire grid is uh mini poppers. Um, uh -huh. yeah, mini poppers are not my friend. doesn't matter. Okay. Irons dot PCC. I don't know why I don't want to respect that little guy either. Yeah. Um, especially transitioning over like to paper to steel. I'm like, Oh, I could just hit that anywhere. Is there a mm -hmm. spot? I mean, are you focusing just on the calibration zone when you see that and really trying to feel that trigger when you hundred percent. Right. So I mean, the deal with, you know, USPSA, right. Um, if you see your dot lift from exactly on the edge of the A zone and that dot's sitting on the A zone, C zone perf, right? And you pull that trigger and you're like, man, I don't know if that was an Alpha or a Charlie. You're totally happy with that, right? Like that is not something you would go back and make up or fix. Yeah. Um, and so the idea is, although you want to hit the A zone, if you miss the A zone by a little, 
well, you get a Charlie. That doesn't make me too sad on the inside. I'm still okay with that. Right. Um, with a steal, <laughs> if you miss the edge of the steal by just a little bit and it was still a good shot, you missed by just a little bit, like you get absolutely nothing. Right. Um, complete, complete fail. And so we can't shoot for a piece of steel the same way that we do. We shoot for an exam. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the dot can't be anywhere on there. And so that's just the, the visual discipline thing. I think of making sure we aren't shooting for the steel. We're shooting for a spot in the center of the steel. Right. And we're making sure that the dot actually stops in the center before we allow the gun to, to kind of go off. But that's, um, it's definitely a difficult mental challenge for a lot of folks on the steel for sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Even going to war with a, a rifle is embarrassing. <laughs> Yeah. But that's why we have 57 rounds in our tubes now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Accuracy by volume. I, yep. I dig it. I dig yep. it. <laughs> so um, I am reworking a pistol, obviously, because I've okay. got working with mass-piece arms, want to shoot open, all that good stuff. So my targets, like you said, with um, just working the simple stuff, I've got scaled down versions from like Ben Stager's uh, pro mm-hmm. shop. Then I've got like, the go fast don't suck like swingers and the tuxes and all that. Can you talk about like your dry fire and like what, what you're really drilling or, or working on when you have those target sizes and those different like no shoots, tuxedos, mm-hmm. all that stuff that you see in competition. Yeah. All the, all the things. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't, I'm not one of these guys that I was like, Hey, here's my 10 dry fire drills that I do every single session, right? My dry fire varies immensely. Um, there's times when I'm, you know, inside with a target and I'm working on a target for a long time. There's times I'm out running around my backyard with an airsoft gun, right? Like it, it varies quite a bit. And so, um, I think having a plan, having an idea of what you need to work on and just figuring out ways to do that in dry fire are, are super important. I think that, um, you brought up the little, the little targets. I think that there's a, there's different benefits to a lot of different target sizes. Um, definitely, you know, small little targets and, and practicing, you know, visual discipline for difficult targets, super, super important, especially if that's something that you need to work on. Mm-hmm. Little mini poppers that are mini, mini poppers on my wall. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I, I also, I also think, you know, having big full-size targets up close in your dry fire is super important as well. Cause that's an entirely different visual challenge. Um, you know, on the, you know, <laughs> you know, you've probably heard it said before, like how, how do you make a GM miss a target? And if it's, you put an open target at three yards. Right. right. Um, yep. Yep. and so that, that is the, the and, and equally challenging, challenging visual process is like, Hey, I, yes, I absolutely have the speed to shoot this target really fast, but the, really the, the challenge there is snapping your eyes to the center of this massive field of brown and actually picking a spot in the center of the target and seeing it with your eyes, not having that kind of eyes bouncing on the target, but just being able to snap right to the center and see where your gun goes. Yeah. So that that's equally important to work in dry fire, I think. So I, I work with a, you know, a wide variety of different sizes and distances and yep. all that kind of stuff. I think if you can figure out a way to, to do different distances in, in dry fire as well, not just different sizes yeah that's important as well because being able to actually snap the focus of your eyes to different distances back and forth mm-hmm. um, is just as important as treating the different sizes and difficulties right. appropriately so right um yeah i've been working yeah. on just draw right now basically but like yeah. wide open just because that's where i have to start yeah no 100 100 <laughs> right it makes makes complete sense yeah yeah then, then um I'm getting better at swingers. So like, like you said, I mean, I'm not a GM nowhere near, but like, sure. uh, South Carolina was one of them, um, clean on every single swinger and the wide open paper right there. Yeah. Two yards, not even when I loaded the PC miss. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that was really painful, but for swingers, like I have been picking that spot on the back of the berm, right. If it's there or tracking or, um, what is it called? 
ambushing or whatever. Like, yep. how, what are the different techniques in working on swingers and like, how do you practice those? Yeah. So it's, it's obviously difficult for a lot of folks. There's a, you kind of, you kind of mentioned that two techniques, you know, right there, depending on how they're presenting, whether there's a, a pause you can take advantage of or whether you have to track them and so forth, how you're going to approach them is going to be a little bit different. Uh, but a lot of folks, you know, unfortunately swing, swingers are not cheap. Uh, and so you, a lot of folks, you know, don't have one they can use in their personal practice. You already mentioned the go fast, don't suck swingers. Those are pretty cool. There's another um, tool called dry fire ninja. Um, which is which is pretty cool. It's an online application um, that you can just get through in your browser. There's a free version of it. What essentially that you do is like dry fire on your TV, right? Um, and so you can actually basically build stages, you know, move targets and barrels around your screen, put them at different distances, um, and you can use swingers, right? And you can put barrels in front of swingers in different orientations and all that kind of stuff. Is this a paid um, thing? There's a paid version of it, right? right. You can like... You can get access to like pre-built classifier stages and there's there's a lot of cool stuff in there. Uh, but there's a free version. You can just access access the swingers and stuff um, for free. And uh, so, yeah, you can dry fire moving targets like on your TV and stuff or your computer monitor or whatever you have. Obviously, bigger, bigger screens are easier. But, um, but yeah, that's pretty cool. I was cool. thinking about that. Uh, just make sure that your gun is unloaded and <laughs> your magazines before you start. Try firing at your TV or your laptop. Just don't yeah. do it anywhere else, but especially at those devices. <laughs> For sure, right? But you can you can start. You know, if you're just if you're just starting the journey on the swinger, you know, you can even just start with the idea of uh, this time I picked up from JJ. Right? Uh, he has a drill in one of his classes where you know he'll take a standard USB-A target, but he'll draw you know a, a four inch circle or whatever, kind of low right, low left, and up at the top. You know, and you, you imagine a swinger kind of arcing through those three circles. And like, you're like, man, okay, inside that circle is where I want to hit it. But what you're really working at is like never stopping moving the gun, right? Like you were, like you would be tracking a swinger, but Hey, I want to land that shot inside that four inch circle every time. Right. So that, like, that, that kind of basic mechanics of it is a great place to start. Okay. Yeah. Eventually figuring out some way you can actually have a moving target and like track it and learning because really learning how to call your shots, I think is the most important part of, of shooting swingers. Like having, having an idea of, did I hit that or did I not like is right. pretty important. Right. Yeah. Um, and that just takes practice on it. So. Yeah. And these days, I mean, I remember back in the day, I would just like activate it and like worry about it later. Now yeah. like, I physically cannot do that, which is like, no, like I have to, if, if it's there, right. It's like, all right, right I'm going to activate it and I'm going to hit it in this turn, or maybe it's two shots. You don't want it at a time, but yeah. So like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not one of those people that just, it'll just be there. Cause it's never not, it's never, right. you're just stuck there. Like waiting, waiting, waiting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big difference. With they me. can be a huge time suck for <laughs> sure. If you mismanage them. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Uh, Interesting. Okay. So for you going in, I know 2022 is almost over, but yep. you're going into nationals. Yep. Um, what's going to be your goal at nationals in your division overall? I mean, you are GM, so where are you going to, where are you going to land? Yeah. Goal setting in our sport, I think is enormously challenging because so much of it is up, is not up to you. It's up to everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and so essentially, you know, I have an idea of how I want to shoot, 
Um, and, and, you know, the, the scores will tell me that, right. So in other words, if, if I, if I you know, just be really simple, don't shoot like a GM and I'm down in the mid middle pack of the master class dudes, like I'm obviously not going to be happy with that. Right. Um, it is, it is not my intention to win nationals. I am, I do not have enough ammo and practice time to, uh, to, to be as good as the top guys right now, but I definitely have an idea of how, how I want to shoot. I don't, I don't think it's really possible to say, you know, I, I want to be, in this place or not. I like to be super realistic with my goals. And that's, that's not up to me a lot of times it's up to the other guys and how they shoot as well. So I haven't even done a, a solid look at who all is signed up. I know there's a, there's Everyone. a lot of heat in <laughs> carry optics right now. Right. So there's probably, you know, I would say, you know, a good five, maybe four or five guys that have a solid shot at winning it. And then there's, you know, probably a good 10 or 15 GMs that are all going to essentially be fighting for the field right under the, under those guys. So yep. it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting, an interesting, uh, event for sure. I'm, I'm excited about it. it. Should be fun. That's awesome. Um, okay. Now we talked about this kind of offline. What, <laughs> what's happening after nationals for you? What are you going to try? Yeah. So, uh, we, we talked about a little bit before this, right? So we just, um, signed up with angst at arms. They built me a rifle. Um, so I'm going to be shooting some PCC going after that, trying to make GM in that, um, this year. Um, but, uh, yeah, it should be fun. I've been shooting carbine for a long, uh, uh, you know, a long time. You can probably see a couple of them up on the <laughs> wall behind me that are nothing like USBSA, uh, PCCs, <laughs> right? Uh, I really, I really, really wish there was a, a good practical rifle competition scene. Um, but there really just isn't, um, outside of, outside of three gun. Um, and so PCC is where it's at. Like if you, if you, if you want to actually demonstrate super high competency, um, you know, with, with impractical rifle, that's pretty much where, you, where you're going right now. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited about it. It should be an interesting, interesting journey for sure. So that's what I'll be getting into after nights this year. Okay. Have you looked into, um, PCSL league, Max Lee Grannis's two gun series? I have absolutely yeah I, I think max is doing a lot of really cool stuff right yeah. now he's thinking think outside the box doing stuff on his own that's uh that's that's pretty cool that's pretty cool i would you'd definitely have to be travel. Interested at some point yeah you'd have to travel but i think that would be worth yeah. it like because i've seen yeah. your two gun i know we'll talk about your like classes and stuff but like you said <laughs> there is super high value in rifle training um especially for like tactical people or people on squads or military whatever it looks like but just in general like truck gun like you said the special ones in that <laughs> background there yeah. um you know, what are, what are your goals looking at PCC? Like, what do you know that is going to be different from pistol versus what do you know that you're are, are going to like correlate to each other? Super interesting game. Right. So, and, and, and I'm not one of these guys that's like, Hey, we should, we need to make sure PCC is like always, you know, testing actually a good test of carbine skills. That's, that's not really realistic in USBSA. In USBSA, we are shooting a pistol gun with a rifle. And so that is, it is what it is. Um, and, you know, in pistol, I kind of have three different ways that I essentially pull the trigger, um, depending on target difficulty and distance. Um, in USBSA for a rifle, I have one way I pull the trigger, right? All, all of the targets are essentially the same difficulty or, or really, really close um, with a rifle, right? I mean, I, I can shoot, and I just posted a video about this, I can shoot 10 splits, 25 yards, and get alphas, right? So it's very different game in that it's, it's, it's simpler in, in the idea that, um, you know, you don't have as much modulation really of difficulty and in, in how you approach the targets, but it's also a little bit less, less forgiving in that way, because, you know, although I can do that standing still static at 25 yards, like if we're doing it on the move, we're doing it coming into position, we have awkward lanes and so on and so forth. Um, there's definitely unique challenges to trying to push the speed that much, um, at, 
but you know, across all the targets. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit of a different game, you know, splits matter way, way more in PCC. Like it's just the, the field's closer, right? Because of the, uh, the reduced challenge as far as target difficulty. So everything, everything's gotta be fast and, um, and you gotta, gotta get all the points too. So it's a, it's a fun game for sure. I'm looking forward to diving into it. Okay. Uh, would you put like Tuga nationals with USPSA on your schedule next year then? Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, okay. okay. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, I, I do like the multi-gun aspect. I think with, uh, you know, USPSA, I would love to see an actual rifle and two gun, mm-hmm. not just PCC. Like I, I miss my rifles. I would like to use said rifles, but yeah. yeah. Um, and then you're going to have those fun clay targets. You're going to have to really learn your like holdovers ish. <laughs> have you seen those yeah. from last year? Oh yeah. From this year. Oh God. Oh yeah. Those are unforgiving. <laughs> <laughs> yes they are yes they are yeah so i shot i couldn't help myself i intended to really stick with carry optics through through nationals but i got the new gun i had to go shoot uh i had to go Get shoot it. at least one match shot really well the only the only re- really thing that hit me i had i think i had a, a few a couple of mics and but they were all from hyderabore stuff you know you're just you yep. get you get so used to yep. um just snapping your eyes to exactly where it is that you want to hit the target in uspsa and when I'm doing my normal, you know, carving stuff in classes and so forth, like it's it just it's a different mindset. Mm-hmm. But uh, on the on the USBSA field, like I, I switch back into the carry optics mode and just have a very particular way that I do things, right? And yep. so it's it's an interesting switch going back and forth and, and having to keep that in mind. But other than that, it should be it should be pretty square away. Yeah. So are you a pro offset or no offset? One one optic only. What are you gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I actually have offsets on pretty much all of my guns, except for the PCC, although I just uh, have a handy-handy mount sitting right here that's awaiting a new optic. Uh, I was just talking to my guys over at Holosun today, so I should be getting the new 509 uh, here before too long to slap on the PCC, so we'll definitely have one. Yeah, for the those hard left leans, it's uh, it's definitely a thing. For oh, sure. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, or, you know, like me, when I lose an optic every other month. <laughs> There is that. There is that. <laughs> I can't make this up. Um, <laughs> I can't. I'm glad you brought up Holison, though. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't represent them, but I am a Holison fanatic. So 510C, 407K, 507. See, I have. I have it on carry guns, on PCs, every every gun. Love them. Yeah. Um. So, like, what's the benefit on using Holison in your in your mind? Like, what do you like about those optics? Because I, I really, I love them. I'm obsessed. Holson's done a lot of really cool stuff. I don't, I don't represent them either. They give me industry, industry pricing on stuff, but um, that's, that's about the extent of my relationship with them, but they've done a lot of really cool things. And even if you're not a huge fan of their optics, you have to be a huge fan of what they've done for the industry because, you know, they brought in that competition and there's, there's a lot of companies that, you know, have done that. You know, it's kind of like, you know, before, if you look at the, you know, the pricing of Trigicon, you know, LPVOs, before and after Vortex came out with the Razor, like you'll see a huge dive off, right? And it's like, of course, competition is going to have a positive impact for the consumer. Um, and so Holosun's done a great job of bringing out quality optics at, at significantly more affordable prices than we were seeing before yep. from anything decent. Um, and so that's pretty cool. But they have some they have some really good products. Um, I the, Really the only optic for them that I use regularly is the 509T um, for my for my offsets on, on rifles. Um, I run the SRO on, on all my pistols, but um, I like something a little bit extra rugged on the rifles when you're tossing in barrels and you know, doing all kind of crazy stuff. So um, the 509T is just a, 
an absolute tank. Um, yeah. And so I enjoy that quite a bit of my rifles. That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Um, awesome. So, okay. Switching gears. So you've got a Spectrain company. Um, yep. When did you even start that and why? So I didn't even start it. <laughs> what? Yeah. Funny story, right? So <laughs> um, I started teaching, you know, years and years ago in kind of a casual and maybe somewhat like kind of like you're doing now, you know, friends, people that I knew um, that, you know, entry level concealed carry classes, that kind of stuff. And this was back when I lived up in Virginia. When I moved down to North Carolina, um, I said, all right, I got to figure out the landscape down here. What's up. So I basically signed up to take, you know, everybody's classes that I knew about that was in my area. And I was like, I'm just going to kind of scope everybody out, see what's up. Who'd you and, take classes uh, from? Now I got to know. <laughs> a handful of folks. Uh, yeah. A handful of folks. Okay. All right. There we go. <laughs> uh, no, nobody that I particularly recommend at this point. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I came across Spectrain. And, um, it was a super unusual company, um, super unique. They were running classes. Like I still to this day, I've never seen anywhere else in the country. Uh, they, you know, I showed up and I think we had about 14 folks as far as the, the, the group of students and we had five instructors there. Um, and so essentially the, the entire class, and this is still most of the way that we run our classes, uh, was one-on-one with an instructor. So, you know, with, we had, you know, two and a, two and a half relays, if you will, which is very, you know, it was very typical. I think even for large line classes, if you've got 20 students, you'll run two relays of 10 or whatever. But when you run two relays and you have five instructors, that means that there's an instructor literally watching you for every single shot that you fire throughout the day. And I was like, this is pretty freaking cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I jumped in with those guys, reached out to Chris, who's a good buddy of mine now, who actually started the company and was running it back then. And I ended up essentially helping him run the company very, very quickly thereafter, uh, developed some new classes. Um, started you know, teaching more performance and competition style stuff for them uh, and basically helped run the company for a couple of years. And then he accepted a job with um, Vortex Edge up in Wisconsin. So he's up there teaching full time for them now. And uh, and now I run Spectrum. So I'm kind of carrying the torch there with that company and keeping keeping the show running uh, while he's up in Wisconsin. So, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the Spectrum story. That's awesome. Um... Yeah. For USPSA, then, like when you were getting started in carry optics, where did you start with classification level? Because obviously, like you started doing the performance pistol and all that with like your GM status and everything else. Yeah. Where did you start? I, I would have to go back and do the math, right? So I, I'm not actually sure where I first landed. I know I had some train wrecks, obviously, uh, like everyone else does, uh, pretty early. But you know, I, I definitely came into the sport with a uh, with a pretty solid pre-established skill set. So it wasn't like, you know, starting from the ground up. So I shot uh, two matches, I think in like 2018, figured out that the gun I had at the time wasn't even legal for the sport. Uh, and so it took a little bit of time off, came back with the, with the, once I signed with Zev uh, with the OZ9 and the, all the right gear and so forth in July of 2019. And I made master in actually just under six months. So uh, from there. So it was, uh, it was a pr- pretty quick journey through there that actually happened in January of 2020. So right after that was when all the matches got locked down, <laughs> there was kind of COVID hits so that kind of tapped the brakes on the, uh, the record time I was trying to make to, uh-huh. uh, to GM, but, uh, <laughs> I get it. I get it. Cause my, yeah. my career I've been building for so long, I was trying to do what I'm doing now in 2020 right. and I, it did delay two years for sure yeah. on mm-hmm. exposure and events and, and everything that I was building. I get it. Yeah. It, yeah. Oh, it crushed. It crushed <laughs> mentally, I think too. Um, yeah. Interesting. Okay. So you've got the training yeah. class. 
Um, I'm glad that you're also a student. Um, I'm taking a class this weekend. Actually, I get to train with Mason Lane. And I, I really want to take cool. one of yours, by the way. I keep seeing them. And of course, every date that you have, I am not in the country or in the state yeah, or anywhere near you. Fair enough. <laughs> but um, I want to talk about like the value of training, right? Sure. So you would, you would, we don't want to restrict our American rights, right? And like, oh, okay, everybody should just go through training. training. Yeah. But you would hope every American is smart enough to know, hey, I should probably take a class. <laughs> hundred percent. How are you, I do want to know this actually, how are you educating people just in general, why they should take a class? Um, and how are you bringing those students in to do that? Or are you? It's a struggle. (laughs) No, yeah. As a job, job of any instructor, right. Uh, selfishly, but also like you said, in general, I'm completely on board with what you're saying. I'm not a big fan of, of any mandatory requirements, um, that are restrictions, yeah. on our rights, but it, it should definitely be a self-enforced requirement. I think that yeah. you, uh, you know, have a certain level of competency at the very least, you know, before you're roaming the streets with, uh, with deadly weapons and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like anything else, you know, technically, you know, could you, you know, could it, you know, instead of going through high school, could you have gone on the internet and taught yourself algebra? Like, yeah, theoretically, yes. Right. Um, but obviously when you get some professional instruction, it's going to shorten that learning curve significantly. You're not going to have to wade through, you know, all, all the different, uh, you know, varying opinions that have may have more or less value depending on who you run into first. Um, and you just have the huge value of having, you know, a a third party opinion, right? So, you know, I, I like to think, um, you know, as, as someone who's been an instructor for maybe six years now, um, grandmaster in the sport that I have, you know, a pretty solid understanding of like how to shoot. Right. But I am still taking my either match videos. Like I'm a member, for example, of PSG, um, which is Ben Steger's, you know, training, um, system. Right. So I'm still taking my either match videos or, you know, my training videos and I'm submitting it to Ben and Juancic every week to look at. Right. And it's like, they will see the stuff that I see in my students. Um, <laughs> right. But way easier sometimes, then I see it in my own, in my own shooting. Right. Yep. Um, and so I think, you know, that that's really the huge value of, of a good instructor as well. Obviously can shorten your learning curve, help you learn the stuff you really need to know upfront. Um, but also just that diagnostic side of things, actually looking at what you're doing specifically, how is your gun moving? What are your results downrange? Um, and a good instructor will be able to identify those things and just kind of skip over all the stuff you're maybe doing right already that you don't need to waste time on or all the stuff you don't need to know to meet your goals and just give you exactly kind of the things that you need um, to get where you're trying to be. So, yeah, I think classes, you know, are, are, are hugely beneficial for sure and have, you know, a ton of value. I'm definitely still a student myself. I'm taking a class in two weeks and then another one in two months. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm still I'm still training and, and stuff like that, you know, all the time. And, uh, yeah, I think it's it's super beneficial for sure. Yeah. You know, something you touched on, um, is like you have first point of view, I think videos, right. With like your own camera system. And then like yep. you have other people video. So you have third person as well. Why? I, I mean, I know the answer, to this, but why are those two views very important and what are they picking up differently that the other's not huge value in both, right. Especially, uh, especially for on the, on the third person stuff, <laughs> you have someone shooting your video that, knows what they're doing right uh and it drives me so crazy when i see shooting videos right and it's like 
there's the, the zoomed in on the gun thing. Yes. And like you spin the camera as the gun comes out of the holster thing. Oh. And it's like, okay, I'm not seeing anything of any value. Movement um, or yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? So there's certain things you have to have as far as video review goes. There's certain things you have to have third person for as far as things like footwork and movement and, you know, stage planning and, you know, positioning and all that kind of stuff. Um, but first person has a lot of value as well. Um, to say, okay, what is, what is my head movement doing? Like, what is my vision doing? How is my gun moving? Um, you can see a lot better, you know, if, if your, if your vision is getting ahead of the gun to the next target before the gun gets there in, in first person video, you can see, you know, how much time is happening between when the gun is landing on the target, when the shot breaks, you know, different things like that. You can see really, really well in first person that is a lot harder to see. Uh, in third person and, and stuff like, you know, when was the target available significantly before I shot it? You know, you can't see in third person when I saw the target, but you right. can see that in first person. So a uh, huge value in both for sure, depending on you know what, what you're really focusing on and kind of what level you're at and what you're trying to yeah. you know, analyze. So uh, what turds in the sport need to take a video, uh, <laughs> how to video a shooter lesson? Like 90% <laughs> of them. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Get you, get you a phone with a super wide angle lens and always put it on a wide angle before you hand it to somebody. That's like the number one thing that will hopefully help get the feet in the shot and, uh, and all that. Cause otherwise they have to get right up on you. Um, but, uh, Kenzie tricks takes great video. She's, <laughs> she's the, the squad photographer. I learned very quickly, right. The first time she was at Georgia okay. state. I want to talk about that. What did you <laughs> what did you first think when you met me at Georgia State? <laughs> like overwhelming. What the heck? Had no idea what to expect, right? That was one of those like super last minute impulse signups for a major. Uh-huh. Uh and and typically, yeah, I mean, we've talked about this. Typically, you know, my 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 deal when I sign up for matches is she with like, better people, not with us. <laughs> Yeah. I'm looking for the best people in the match to shoot. I'm looking for like, okay, what squad has the most GMs on it? Right. And um, and specifically like carry optics GMs. Like if I have my pick of the litter, right. Uh, and I'm like, man, here's this PCC squad uh, that I'm going to have to go shoot with. It was the, it was the only squad that opened slots, you know, I had no idea what I was getting into with. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good time. It was a party. It was, uh, you know, it, it was, had a lot of fun uh, with, with your squad for sure. It was uh Good. It was a good time. We are, I mean, we're GM resellers, even though we didn't have to, but GM videographer, photographer, videographer, yep, and entertainment. So 100 percent 100 percent Yeah, definitely probably the most that I've like uh, laughed uh, at a at a match before, still to this day, I would say for sure. Oh, so that's yeah. actually a compliment. You need that. Every now and then you need that. For sure. Yeah, no, it yeah, it's uh it's one of those things, right? Like shooting basically for my whole life has been like it's been my passion, what I do for fun, right? It's my therapy, but these days it's like, it's way more like work. You know what I mean? It's Stop. like, uh, yep. so I, I fish now. Like that's, that's what I do to like actually relax. Now I can't, I cannot relax, uh, behind the gun anymore. It's, uh, no. yeah. Yeah. I've seen you with the catfish and all that. It's like, is this a private property public? Like, what are you doing? Both. Uh, no, over the last couple of days. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's all been just, you know, like public random, Random bodies of water here in North Carolina. Then we'll go, go pull some catfish out of. You know, it's a good time. I love it. I want to learn how to fly fish, so that's on my bucket list. I would like to do that as well. That is not something I've 
gotten into, but it looks like a good time. I need to get my buddy Nick. I told him the other day, I'm like, when are you posting the the fly fishing courses on the Velox Training Group <laughs> website? Because he uh, he is always pulling out some monster trout with the fly fishing rig. But, uh, oh, that'd he, needs be cool. to, he needs to get on that for sure. Be really cool. Um, so sorry we've digressed. Uh, okay, so training. Yeah. <laughs> After that, uh, you know, what classes are you teaching? Um, and why would someone like what are what would someone be looking for into taking your class and like what would they take away from it? Sure. Yeah. So you know, as a company, right? So spec training is not just me, right? I have technically, I think, about nine guys on my cadre right now. Um, most of which are pretty different for me, right? I'm kind of like the, the competition performance shooting guy. Um a lot of current and former law enforcement and, and military guys on my cadre that have you know, expertise in different things. You know, I've got a Marine scout sniper that runs my precision, my precision shooting stuff. Like that is not my game. Like yeah. I do not do that, but oh. he's very good at it. Right. And that's what he does. Um, and so you can come to spectrum courses and learn from different guys, you know, and a lot of different stuff. Um, but our, our kind of main core courses, you know, we do the kind of traditional level one, level two um, pistol and, and carbine courses. Um, but, uh, we skip through a lot of the, the tactical range theatrics and, and we focus on shooting good and being fast and accurate, if you will. Um, and we, we certainly do that for those courses for folks that are interested in that from a, you know, a lot of, a lot of times a defensive mindset, we have applications to those things, but really shooting is shooting. Um, and, uh, I don't, I, you know, I really don't care what your resume is. If you can't shoot, you're not going to be teaching at one of our courses. We have, we have good shooters. So that's, that's kind of really the, the focus for us. And and then what's I've already kind of mentioned what generally sets our, those courses apart from anywhere else in the country I found so far is the kind of instructor to student ratio and the, and the yeah. one-on-one time you get with, with instructors, which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I also do some, some more performance competition style shooting stuff. So right now I'm teaching a lot of the, kind of what I call a two day level up, uh, competition pistol course that that's kind of my, like, if you, if, if you are like, you know, DCBA class, this is like everything you need to know to make it to GM. That's the, or at least that's my attempt at that. Right. So it's kind of the, it's definitely not an inch. It's not an intro to competition class. It's not a, here's what the rules are and here's the divisions are and that kind of stuff. It's, it's all right. We're going to hit the ground running and we're going to talk about, okay, what do you need to do to actually get you know, good <laughs> at yeah. this thing. And uh, so that's a lot of fun. And we have, we have a good time. It's probably one of my, my favorite, favorite courses to run right now, but yeah, we do a little bit of everything. That's awesome. Now are people um, learning how to use like a manip- manipulate lights, lasers or deploy slings or anything like that in these courses, or is that something that's more in the defensive realm? Uh, but not in the competition course, obviously. Right. But yeah. so for our, for what we call our core and critical applications courses, you know, obviously, yes, slings are required, yeah. uh, you know, for the rifle courses and that kind of stuff. We we have done some low light classes in the past. I don't have a great facility to really do that right now. So I'm not really doing a whole lot of low light stuff. Uh, but yeah, we, we do a little bit of everything and we do you know, a little bit of law enforcement contracting and stuff. If you have a facility you want us to come to and do that kind of training, we, we absolutely will, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you a 2.1 point kind of guy? <laughs> <laughs> You you had to pull me in you had to pull me into the uh the debate the the controversy right uh so yeah so uh first of all just don't run three points i feel like i can say that without stepping on any any toes right um yeah i think i think the one points were obviously super super popular i think early in the, the war on terror uh it seemed really cool give you a lot of freedom in your manipulations so on and so forth 
Um, and then more and more and more, we saw everyone moving away from that just because like, you know, guys would climb over a fence and come on the other side and their gun is still on the other side of the fence and, you know, and they're hanging from their gun now and this kind of thing. Right. So obviously the advantage to, I think two point slings is it actually secures the gun to your body in a much better way. Um, and, uh, and if that, so if that's the goal, it's really cool. You know, I think the downside just in some folks' minds is, well, you lose a lot of that freedom to actually run the gun, which when, when running the gun matters, it's hard to think of anything else that matters more. Um, obviously, there's, there's a couple ways to work around that. You can just swim out of it. I've moved to really, I used to use a two-point sling, but I have the two points of those sling basically as close together as they can be. So I connect it to the, the end plate under the castle nut on the back of the receiver and basically as close to the receiver on the rail as I can. Gives me a lot of flexibility I can do. You know, I can actually transition shoulders if you are into that sort of thing without swimming out of my sling in the two-point. Um, but when I tighten it down, it really gets it super secure you know, to the body if I need to put it you know, behind my back or whatever. It, uh, it works pretty well. So that's that's kind of what I've moved to these days. Um, and of course, you can use you know, slings with you know, the Magpul or the Haley or whatever, you know, that, that can hook and unhook and basically go back and forth from a one point to a two point configuration as well, which are, are pretty cool if you're still uh, not, you know, totally sold on one option or the other. But. <laughs> okay. I like the answer. Yeah. Yeah. I've had to learn how to use one of those. Thank you. Three gun for that experience. Yep. <laughs> I remember though, my friend Rob. Yep. He had to jump over a wall at Fort Benning and he kind of did the thing where he was like, I don't have a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a thing. It's a thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the setup too, like for, I mean, like having a um, deployable rifle in a, in a truck or a car or whatever, mm -hmm. that sling setup, it's not all willy nilly loosey goosey too. You know what I mean? You have Absolutely to learn not. how to deploy it. Um, and, and like similar to you, I don't know, like I shoot in it in the sling if that makes sense so loosen mm -hmm. enough that's still there and then you could just pull it tight and so yeah i'll give you the uh i'll give you the, the pro tip real quick uh yeah, step step by brief intermission so for sling management on the actual deployable rifle hopefully you can still kind of hear me right so the um my friends at the neomag make this deal it's called the sentry strap so this is what I use. It's a, basically a magnetic retention strap for your slings on your rifles. Like when my, you know, this is kind of, would be like my bag gun setup. This is how it's folded up, you know, in my, you know, wh wherever I may or may not be keeping this rifle <laughs> at various times. Um, but you see, sling is open. You can actually run this and the slings kept out of the way. It's not tangled. It's not going to get, you know, wrapped around your optic or anything like that. I got access to all my controls and so forth. But then if I actually need my sling, all I have to do is grab this strap, yank it open, and I've I've got it, right? So all this is, is a, just a magnetic, you know, keeper strap Ooh. that wraps around your sling, keeps it out of the way, and then deploys super quick if and when uh, you need it. So that's my go-to for uh, sling management. Very, very, very cool. Okay. Does your facility that you train at, like, allow you to shoot out of or around cars? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I know a place in Tennessee if you ever need to do stupid stuff like that, but good stuff. But fun. fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, we uh we've, we've got a lot of cool places to do stuff uh here in this neck of the woods as well. But um, <laughs> this neck of the woods. Yeah, we have, we have we have we have we have we have fun with various things like that. Yeah. <laughs> Undisclosed location. Yeah. <laughs> like it. Um. Okay. So towards towards the end of this, I did want to talk about 
of course, the Second Amendment stuff. Um, okay. At the time of this, you know, we've got the Uvalde, we've got that, um, I want to say the, the re- release in the videos, at least. And then we've seen like the Chicago shooting, all that stuff. So I've had two positive and negative, or I've had two experiences this week, and I posted the positive, and this happened today on the negative. But positive side was people saw my social media and thought it was awesome that it was a positive aspect and it was training and it was good stuff about firearms. Negative. Someone Googled my name, saw that, and was not willing to work with me or get on a call. I was like, okay, right? So with all the turmoil going on and everything like that, like how how can the sides work together? And like, why, why are our Second Amendment rights so important right now to preserve more than ever? Yeah. Uh, super interesting conversation, right? Whether, whether it's, it's really sad to see. And I think whether it's, you know, all, all the discussions right now, whether it's the Second Amendment, whether it's uh, social issues, whether it's, you know, the abortion thing lately, like whatever it is, folks, you know, seem to really, really struggle having, you know, open conversations and, and realizing there's two sides, you know, the various arguments and actually, you know, being able to talk about things, which is, which is really a shame. But, you know, I think a lot of these things boil down to, um, things that are completely separate from the argument, right? So when I, when I was talking to folks that may be on the other side of the, you know, the, the second amendment issues or whatever it is, you know, arguing over, you know, telling them they don't know, you know, what an AR-15 stands for or telling them it's a magazine, not a clip or whatever it is. Like none of that has any value to the discussion whatsoever. Right. Um, and so what, it, what it boils down to, right. Is like, you know, if, if you're, if you're the kind of person who, uh, you know, every time you see a problem in society, wants the government to step in and solve that problem for you, um, you're probably on a different side of this argument than, than someone who is like, man, I want the government to stay on my life as much as possible. And I'd rather stand on my own two feet and take care of my own and just be left alone. Right. And so it's a really, it's a really a difference in worldview, much more than it is anything else. We all, right. Obviously are, are, uh, you know, appalled and, and saddened. Everything's like, you know, like these various events, like you just mentioned, you know, happen. Obviously we all want those things to stop. We all want to go after those things and find solutions. Um, and I think to, to suggest that anyone on either side, any side of this argument, like doesn't care about those things is, is obviously way out of line. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, I think because of a difference in worldview, we had just simply have different approaches to, to how to solve those problems. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's, that's really what it kind of boils down to, you know, for me. Um, I'm, I, my basic take on it, right. Is obviously we, it's very, very clear that evil exists, um, in this world. And it really does not matter too much to me, whether it is someone with an AR-15 in Texas or whether it's, you know, someone with a bomb in Israel, um, that is, you know, killing kids in schools, right. The, the, the tool is not entirely important to me. What's, what's clear to me is that, you know, if, if my family and folks that I care about were in danger from any sort of threat like that, the government's not who I really trust, um, to, to step in and, and solve that issue. Right. Um, you know, they, <laughs> we've seen lots of videos going around the internet the last couple of days, right. I think demonstrating that that lack of trust has has some real firm you know foundation there yeah um and so i would rather be as prepared as i can possibly be um to protect not only my life but my family and those that i care about and um and yes i am i'm huge fans of our military and law enforcement obviously i train with train with those guys all the time big supporters of them and uh if i can let them step in and and uh, and take care of business. I have no problems doing so. But when they're 
you know, 20 or 30 minutes out and someone's kicking my door in, I'm not going to be, you know, waiting on them. Um, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is there, is there like conversations or I don't know, approaches to meeting, I don't want to say anti-gunners or just people on the other side halfway or there, or have you had conversations that have actually like converted people to understand even where we're coming from? Like, have you had that experience? Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, you know, I think it's, um, it's, it's certainly difficult. I think that, you know, for, for a lot of folks, you know, the, the arguments are not even based in, in any particular like moral logical standpoint. It's, it's strictly kind of a cultural and experiential thing. Right. And so just, just exposing folks to firearms can be a really great first step, right? Actually getting folks out on the range and getting them to kind of experience it and understand that like, no, you know, shooting someone in the leg with your pistol is may not be like an actual practical, uh, you know, tactic, you know, th these kind of things, right. It really shifts, you know, folks mindset on various things like that. So um, just, you know, basic exposure and education, I do think is, is, is super important. But then I also think actually, like I said before, framing our arguments is super important. If, if, if we're debating folks and telling them that they don't have a right to an opinion because they thought AR stood for assault rifle, when it really stands for armor right, rifle, like that is not going to change anyone's perspective on anything. We need to be talking about things like Hey, oh, by the way, the Second Amendment is not about hunting. It's not about self-defense, right? It's not, you know, actually talking about the roots of these issues and kind of getting to the things that actually kind of matter, yeah. Um, yeah, I think is, is where we're going to see headway. And so, you know, I think, you know, folks that, you know, obviously the NRA over the years and so forth have, have, have honestly done some damage, I think, to to the arguments by trying to say, oh, the AR-15 is a sporting rifle. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like that is not the right way. We, we have to be honest. We have to be upfront and we have to get to the actual root of the issue and be like, no, yeah, the AR-15 is, you know, was designed as a military weapon and that is what it's for. And it's, and that's, you know, exactly, you know, kind of what this country was literally, you know, founded on, you know, the, 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 the shot heard around the world was not over tea or taxes. It happened when the government tried to take away explosives and cannons from Americans, right? Uh, we don't, we don't you know, like that a whole lot. So um, that's, that's kind of what second Amendment is actually kind of all about. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. This is totally out of left field probably, <laughs> but sort of on topic. Um, did you read or watch the terminal list? Yes. Both. Both. Yeah. Same. I know we talked about the top <laughs> one, but the reason yeah. I brought that up, um, again, a cool experience this week in Pennsylvania. Um, I had someone who had, had voted for Biden who admitted he regretted that. And we're not going to say, I told you so, right. We're not going to go attacking that, that he sure. even came up to me and, and talked about the terminal list. And he said, it was really surprising that Amazon still published that TV show. And I was shocked and I'm happy about it. Right. Like I'm yeah. forward. First of all, the book is amazing. We, yep. I've met Jack Carr. We've got same. So, we've got so much value in that whole series with, with weapons handling and guns and knowledge. Oh my gosh, it was amazing. Right. So how do you see shows like that and, and even celebrities, right? I think Chris Pratt took a almost a leap of faith on being in that show. He's probably lost a lot of fans because of it, right? Um, but how important was that show to, to be released to you? Or I don't know. Um, I don't know. You know, I think that we we have, you know, I think for folks, for folks in, in our community, right, the, the show I'm sure is something entirely different than to a lot of the folks out there who are not really going to be able to identify the difference between the terminal list and like John Wick, right? Yeah. To a lot of people watching it, it's going to be the same thing. Um, and so, you know, and that is what it is, but it's, it's, it's super, super nice whenever those shows come along 
uh, or you see things like that in, in the media that actually, you know, take take a little bit of care and respect for their subject matter and actually try to, you know, make things semi-realistic and and not just uh, kind of completely discard reality. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was it was super, super cool. I enjoyed, you know, both the books and the, and the show a good bit. And uh, and so, yeah, it was it was really cool. For you sure. know, thinking about that, Benghazi, even reading the book, yeah. like redactions, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like that helps almost to, again, the other side of the political argument to understand government hides a lot of stuff from us. A lot yeah. of stuff. And stuff goes down like that. And and can you imagine if if that was here? I mean, it is totally, you know, terrorism is in the country for sure. But I don't know. I feel like that that stuff kind of just sets the example of why we need to keep our firearms. Well, I, I think, you know, that, you know, I think <laughs> folks on, on every side of the aisle now with, with just how, you know, with, with, with how far the Internet's come and just how available information is, I think really, you know, a lot. Everyone's starting to understand that. I think if something like the terminal list had come out. 20 years ago, everyone would have been like, oh, this is just like a sci-fi movie. Like that would never happen type thing. And we're watching it today going like, yeah, that, that probably is happening. Right. Like, you know, like, like it's just a completely believable storyline. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's, uh, it's scary to think about, but at least, uh, at least we're not blind to it. Like we probably were at one point. So yeah, it, it's <laughs> yeah. sad that people have to almost die for things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Interesting. So to wrap this up too, uh, I don't know if you want to leave people with thoughts of why they should consider concealed carry, what they their mindset should shift when they do get into firearm ownership and and even being welcoming to other people that might not like them. Any other final thoughts? That's a big open-ended question. There's so yeah. many, so many places you could you could go with that, right? Well, I think we've yeah. You know, as far as the getting into concealed carry thing, we, we've kind of hit on, on 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 my motivation for that um, already. Um, I am, you know, it, I think anybody in these days, this day and age, understands that evil exists uh, in in this world, and there really are, you know, very very real threats um, to your to your health and safety out there in the world, unfortunately. And I think sticking your head in the sand and just saying, well, that will never happen to me um, is just it's just not an acceptable solution you know, for me in my book. And it's and even if it's OK for you personally, is that OK for you, for the folks that you know are around you that you care about? Um, and so if it's not, then you know, really there are our, our steps to try to mitigate risk and those kind of things are, are somewhat minimal. Obviously, we, we avoid stupid places at stupid times and stupid people. Um, but, you know, we, you know, we have to go to school, you know, we have to, you know, we have to go to church. We have to, we have to do things that involve us, um, you know, being around, you know, other people. And, and these things are just, these kind of events can happen pretty much any time, any place. Um, and so if you want to have a way to defend yourself, you know, concealed carry is, is a, is a great freedom that we have in this country. And I think we should absolutely be taking, you know, advantage of it. If you are willing to invest the time and money to actually be an asset um and to to have that level of competency where you're you're again an asset not a liability then uh, it's absolutely something that's i think a valuable valuable pursuit um yeah. for sure as far as being prepared and just being ready to defend yourself and and, and your family your loved ones if you if you needed to to do that at some point so yeah um yeah absolutely how do you teach the mindset around that too i mean if you think about it going to play tennis or learning tennis or golf or bowling, right? There's not a huge lift for people like, Oh, I just, I know to go to the bowling alley. I'm going to rent stuff there. Right. They think firearms are like, Oh my God, like I, I'm intimidated. Cause now it's, I got to learn firearms and ammo. And like, where do I find that? And 
do I need eyes or I need ears? What do I need that I don't know that I need? Right. So it's like this overwhelming amount of stuff, but how easy it is. is it to get into it too at the same time? It is right. There's, I mean, there's, and it's one of those things, like there is a barrier to entry, right? Yes. Like if, if, um, you know, unfortunately you are, too, but like, yeah. like everything else, right. The thing, the thing with, you know, with fishing, it's like you, you can buy a lot rod and a lure and you can, you can go fishing. You may not catch anything, right. But you can go do stuff. Um, it's like with, 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 if you're looking into getting into concealed carry, right. What you're probably going to have to do is you're gonna have to buy, you know, gun and, and magazines and a holster. And like you said, personal, you know, the PPE, the eyes and the ears, and you're going to have to go take a concealed carry class, right. To get certified. Then you're gonna have to take a class that actually teaches you how to shoot. And to do that, you're gonna have to buy, you know, a thousand rounds of ammo. And, you know, you're looking at a fairly, you know, significant investment up front of, you know, of, of, of time as well as, you know, the finances to, to, to get into that. It doesn't have to be as crazy as a lot of people make it out to be, but it's still fairly significant. I mean, you're, you're looking at, you know, probably a good thousand dollar process just, just to get started. Right. Um, the good news is, you know, if you find out, you know, find good training, you know, we take as an example, I think the cool thing to show folks is, and we try to do this through our, our media and stuff in our classes, as an example, I mean, we, we take people, our, our goal for kind of our core pistol or core rifle classes, right? We have, we call the core drill at the end of our classes. And it essentially is a, a big run and gun course of fire where you have to, you know, run like 50 yards and you go through these different positions and shoot these targets. And it's, it, it's, you know, pretty intimidating to, to a lot of folks, but we literally take first time shooters that have never shot a gun before that maybe will rent, even rent a gun from me or another instructor sometimes. Um, and they go through eight hours of training and they're crushing that drill by the end of the day. So it doesn't have to be, you know, a five-year process or whatever before you're confident enough to actually, uh, run your gun. If you find some good quality instruction, you put the work in, it can happen, can happen pretty quickly. So, um, yeah, I think it's don't don't want to you know understate the investment. There is an initial upfront investment, and you have to understand that it's a perishable skill. So it's going to be, you know, essentially a life lifelong dedication. You don't have to go be a USBSA GM or whatever, but you need to keep up your skills to where you're safe and competent. Um, and that's going to be something you have to you know upkeep on a, on a regular basis for oh, yeah. you know, for forever, right? Yeah. Um, so good to understand that upfront, but also understand that it's you know it's shouldn't be intimidate it's like again you don't have to go through and be like you know a black belt level you know person in shooting right uh to to be able to do the things that you need to do to be a an asset so yeah now i tried to teach this i don't know if you try as well or just kind of give up on it but um people don't prioritize their safety or their well-being or have you right so what's cool is when i can get them in the class right I'm like, Hey, like, you're going to get this class. You're going to get the certificate. It's going to be good for a year. I hate telling them it's going to be good for a year. I'm like, Hey, do this like Monday, do this Tuesday, right? Get this done. I, I wish I knew, like I, I used to teach in Florida and I teach in Tennessee. I can't see like who actually follows up after my class and like goes and gets their permit or whatever. Right. Like, friends tell me that they do, but I know that there are people that take it and they never go apply or they never go get it and they never pursue it any, any further. Like, or they want to, and they keep talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. I'm like, bullshit. Like, when are you going to go sign up and do this? I yeah. don't understand how to make people, again, you want it more than them. You care more than them, but they should. How do you make people practice this? You can't make people do anything. I know, but it's so yeah. frustrating because they're like, oh, I don't have money. Okay. Stop drinking uh, alcohol for one weekend, right? Yeah. Don't go out to eat or don't buy those clothes. Like it's very simple. 
you know, like you said, a thousand dollar investment on your life versus a coffin. That's probably five grand, 10 grand for your family. Um, choose. Not wrong. It's expensive to die. <laughs> You're giggling again. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're not, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's 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 one of those things. Yeah, it's definitely definitely can can be frustrating for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't I don't even deal I don't even do permit classes. Yeah, um, I'm not at your level. I'm never going to teach people because I don't have the knowledge. To it's not even that. Level. It's just like the the required. I did teach them in Virginia the the required um, the way that the, the state does required training here in North Carolina is absolutely atrocious. I've seen it. And they actually mandate eight hours of classroom time. That's right. In your one day course. Right. And so you're, you're literally not allowed to teach people how to shoot because there's not enough time. Correct. The way pretty much every like range in my area does it is you shoot the qual before the class, right? Because they don't want, they, they basically have you show up before the indoor range, like actually opens. Right. And so you shoot the qual real quick and then you go, you know, have the, have the class. Right. And so they're basically, you know, your, your two choices for running a class like that are, are with the people that are going to show up, right. Is either a, uh, fail 80% at least of the people that are going to come through your course or set a qual that is just like literally a first time shooter can pass it effortless, effortlessly. Right. And then you sign off on that person being good to go out and in the world with a, with a gun. And it's like, I'm not willing to do either of those things. Nope. Um, and so I just, I can't be a part of the system that's in place right now. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's, it's really frustrating, but, yeah. uh, yeah. It, it is what it is. So for sure. Sorry, I took you down there, but had yeah, you. no. <laughs> All right. Any final thoughts you want to leave listeners with too? No, I was, I was, I was, this was great. I appreciate you having me on. It was a good time. Oh yeah. And I learned a lot. Um, so for people that do want to look up your classes, follow you on social media, what's your social media and your website and stuff. Yeah, it's just pretty much Spectrain all the places on the on the YouTubes and the Instagrams and so forth. Website Spectrain.us, uh, and then I have the I'm slowly rebuilding my my personal more competition um, style page. Got uh, got zucked a little while back, but uh, it's P3 Performance is the new page over there. If you're more in the competition crowd, that's where I post a lot of the stage runs and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, <laughs> what is P3 that's me. for by the way. So that was, you were like the first person to ask that. It's so funny. I would expect to get that question more often. Yeah, no, so that was actually I, my, that was actually my first company name before coming to Spectrain uh, was, was P3. And uh, at the time it stood for precision personal protection. Um, Cause I was super cool like that. But, um, but uh, yeah, so that was just the name that I had from that account before I took over the Spectrain account. And I just kind of stuck with that name because people kind of know it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, you don't have to answer this, but I'm gonna make you answer it anyways. Uh, okay. So this whole podcast, I know people listening are gonna feel the same way. You're very, 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 very well spoken, very highly educated. Um, I'm I'm always impressed from from learning from you and all of that. How old are you? Twenty eight. Yeah. It's it's really cool to. I don't see you that way. I see you like thirties. I think we've talked about this before, <laughs> but no. I mean, like so well-spoken, well-educated, very, very self-aware. It takes a lot for anybody. I think, especially these days in their twenties. I mean, we both are, but like to be able to understand the real world and what's going on. Um, so good on you and having a business and working and all of the things that you're doing. It's impressive. No, I appreciate it. And, uh, and, and back at you for sure. Trying, right. Trying to make a difference. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely.
Awesome. Very well, cool. Billy, thank you again. Um, hopefully one day you'll find it fun again and squad with me and my uh, pickle. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll have to get you a jersey. Oh, my word. <laughs> have you seen those, by the way? <laughs> I have seen those. Yeah. I have seen those. Uh, yeah. Okay. It's so yeah. good. I'll, I'll use the cop out that I have my own jerseys. <laughs> with, uh, yeah. My sponsors and so forth on them. But uh, I appreciate the offer for sure. Okay. Otherwise, otherwise, I'd be right there. No, Absolutely. I know. Yeah, totally. of course. <laughs> Love it. Cool. Well, Reddit Club podcast listeners, stay tuned for the next episode. Um, we're going to keep deep diving into these heavy subjects and also knowledgeable areas to help you learn and grow. So stay tuned for more. Thanks for listening to the Reddit Club podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Follow along on social media at Reddit Club or 3 Gen Kenzie.